Yes. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another brand new Rugby Muscle Podcast. In today's episode, we are joined by Matt Vickery of the Instagram account jump.throw.lift. This is probably not an account that you might have seen before, or you might have seen a few highlights, but he has a criminally small following for what great information he puts out. So I'd encourage all of you to go check out his Instagram. It is in linked in the description below. If you want to check out anything from Robbie Muscle, also linked in the description below. But today's episode is a discussion with him on all things strength and conditioning. He's been in the sport for or in strength and conditioning for well over two decades at this point. So he, you know, he's changed his mind on a lot of things. He's learned a lot of things. He is a true fountain of knowledge when it comes to sports performance, athleticism, building real world physical performance. I was going to say strength and conditioning, but we already agreed on this episode that we don't like that term. So absolutely invaluable episode for both young guys and older athletes to listen to, to really understand what it is you need to add or take away from your routine as far as physical preparation, your gym stuff, your your fitness stuff, whatever you need for rugby performance. We discuss it all on this episode and really give you some valuable insights that I hope you can take away. If you don't find this episode at all useful, please do give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or if you're listening on YouTube, give it a thumbs up and let me know what you think in the comments below. All right, let's get into this episode with Matt Vickery, jump.throw.lift. Yeah, I've been following your Instagram account for a while. Jump.throw.lift. How long have you been running that for? Because it looks like it's like you've you've got a good sort of ideology going down. Yeah, not long, but I feel I've messed about with it. It wasn't until lockdown I started actually putting out content where I thought people actually benefit from. Before that, it was just me showing off, doing, you know, playos and lifting shit. Yeah. But I never really... I'm one of these guys, I never really thought online coaching was a, th- online programming is, but I never really thought online program pro- coaching was a thing because, you know, I, I want to, I want to be there, I'm a hands-on coach, but then I realized then when you know, all the technological advances that I'd ignored over the last five years, there was actually a pretty decent area to, to help and to educate online as well as in person, you know? Yeah, definitely. I've already hit record, so we might as well go straight into like your intro and background then, the, what you did before. Career-wise, rugby-wise, athlete-wise, what you did before you, you know, lockdown and, and how you came to where you got to be now, if that, if that works for you. Yeah, mate. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So I've, I've done nothing before, to be honest. So I qualified as a, like a lifeguard track coach PT sort of vi- variation when I was 18. And I've been doing it for like 25 years now. So in various guises, you know, so it was the whole personal trainer thing. Because remember, strength conditioning wasn't a thing 25 years ago. Neither was the internet. So it was like dinosaurs. But if you wanted to educate, yeah. if you wanted to educate in any field, you had to go and like actually meet people or ring them up or buy their, their books or their, like their video cassettes and stuff. So my, my sort of, I, I've always played rugby. So I'm obviously I'm from South Wales. So you, you, you kind of brought up playing rugby or nothing. And I've always been a keen track athlete. I kind of lost interest in rugby in my 20s. And what, what was interesting to me was, like I said, there was no real formal certifications in strength conditioning or when you be education in it. But what I found was people were 
like rugby athletes were training like bodybuilders and aerobic athletes. So we had endurance athletes combined with bodybuilders. And when I was in like rugby gyms, even when I wasn't playing for anybody in particular, people would look at me doing plyometrics like I was a, like a retard. You know, I'm just jumping around and doing, you know, Mac drills and acceleration stuff. And you're like professional, well, semi-professional standard rugby players and above and professional standard actually looking at me like I'm crazy. They're like, what's the point of doing that? Rugby's about contact. And I'm like, I've always kind of thought rugby's about avoiding contact, but you know, you're in the minority then. That's like a, that's a funny philosophy, even like just as a, as a coaching thing, because you know, you call rugby a collision sport, but it's also an evasion sport more than anything. And I think, yeah, if you like, we did uh ruck practice at training last night. I took the boys through some different ruck things, but yeah, we went through a three on two drill beforehand. And then we went back into the three on two. And I'm like, look, if you can avoid contact, that's, that's the best situation. You don't even need to ruck. You can go through and you can do the best stuff. So definitely. And obviously the agility stuff helps you take contact on your own terms as well, which is always going to be significantly better yeah what i like seeing at the moment you know i'm always seeing it for the last like, maybe let's say 10 years where rugby sort of evolved a little bit more into a more uh, let's just say athletic endeavor rather mm-hmm. than a physical but solely physical anyway and you got people like you know like recently like toby falato number eight great feet you got dom brand now in for harlequins you know great athletes sam simmons great athlete back row athletes who are not just in Tipperick, all these guys, they're great athletes. They're not just rugby players. They've got great hands, they've got great feet. Yeah, yes, they've got the Bosch, so they can take a hit. Obviously, they can tackle hard. They're aggressive tacklers and ruckers and counter-ruckers, but they've got skill sets, which were you know, more Islander or Maori type as it was you know, 15 years ago. And now the entire world is hopefully understanding that, you know, if you can, like you said, avoid collision, that's not a bad thing. No, definitely not. And so I guess back in the day, did, did the guys watching you doing all the jumps today eventually think, oh, maybe this is a good idea and give it a go or? Definitely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, so, no, I was, I was at um, Richmond and you had a lot of players there who were like kind of a big deal, you know, back in sort of like 2000, 2001, just after, the, I think they'd just gone bankrupt actually at that point. We got international class players looking at me like, mate, you got it, you got it totally wrong. You should be on a track somewhere. So yeah, absolutely not. And London Scottish and Richmond and I think London Welsh were at the time sharing a training ground. And all I saw was just endless physicality, 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 running around, running around, running around. I mean, the warm up for London Scottish was two laps of the of the, uh, the pitch. You know, like <laughs> that's not great. No, and. What's funny is still like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's what I was going to say is like, you'll still like, I think like amateur level rugby now is just professional rugby, maybe like 10 or so years ago, things just trickled down. And so we're still far behind and you get, and then you, know, you get the odd player that wants to make the best of themselves and will sort of go, but then they'll go to what the, the current guys are doing now and they'll sort of like skip a preparation phase and, and they'll go straight into it as well. So there's a lot of a, like a layered approach to, to be able to do this sort of stuff, I think. And the whole thing, it's like, it is, it's either extreme that people are trying to do exactly what the professionals are doing right now, or it's old school and they're not really doing much of anything, which is crazy, but to me, and it's always been crazy. If you think rugby's never been not a physical game, like it's always, it's a, it's a, it's one of the most physically demanding sports I think you can do. And when you ask, especially if you ask like people that aren't completely familiar with rugby or they're not at least in the circle of rugby they'll say you know 
they'll always admire rugby athletes because it's it, it is an amalgamation of all these different things that you've got to do. So to then not do anything physically and just say, oh, I'm just a rugby player and, and just be in terrible shape is kind of doing yourself a disservice and maybe even a sport a disservice. Yeah, but there's there's a there's another side to that as well. So I worked with a young prop on Saturday and he's going up to sort of semi-pro level. He wants to push his game on. He's a physical specimen. He's a big guy, tight head. He's not body, there's no body fat on the man. You know, he's he's lean. He's in, physically, you look at him and think, well, you're, you're in great condition. But he can't run. Mm. Because he's actually built too much muscle mass. So he's gone the old bodybuilder route and he can't run. So what I got him doing, sprint mechanic drills. You know, his his hip flexors, his glute meds, his, his Achilles, calf complex, we're all just burning out so rapidly because his perceived exertion of that particular drill was so high that his body just went flatline. You know, he was pumped from doing A skips. <laughs> and I you know and it's, and it's really common, man. You know, you, you see, I see an awful lot. The guys just want to get as strong as they, strong as they, strong as they can. And then they completely forget that the most important qualities you can give somebody is try and make them a bit faster. You're not going to make them fast, but a bit faster, a bit more robust, a bit more coordinative, a bit of, a, you know, adding that agility and change of direction component. You know, that's the, that's the game changer right there. It's not the, the extra 20 kilograms in your back squat or deadlift. No, I think, especially with young athletes, it does come from a, like I always say, like I, I have a sort of strength first approach. I think I'd like to hear your, your thoughts on that afterwards, but it's like, I think, you know, when we're talking about power, even like, yeah, when we're talking about power, even speed where there's, you know, force application to the ground. There is a level of strength that you need. And, and guys that listen to this podcast would have heard me almost say the exact same thing last week. It's, it's, you have to get, you know, you have to get your strength level developed enough so that you've got a ticket, but that's it. You don't have to, you know, you have to pay your, your ticket to entry or, or cross the barrier to entry and be strong enough. But once that's crossed, like pursuing all of your time in strength is kind of a fruitless endeavor, right? Yeah. Unless you're a strength athlete. Yes. Now, if you're a powerlifter or a strongman or an Olympic weightlifter, brilliant. If you're a barbell athlete or a, strong, or a strength competitor, strength is all that really matters. Now, I had a, this really funny tip. So a few weeks ago, I was in a gym and this, this guy comes with his dad and he said, you know, I, what, could I have a chat to you about coaching my son? And I said, well, okay, well, what's the deal? He said, well, he's an open side flagger. He's not making the first team. He's in the second still. And it's a pretty big club. And he said, I, I'm just a bit concerned he's not strong enough. I said, okay, well, where, where is he? And he was in the corner. He's 18 years old, this kid. He's got 180 kilograms on his back, back squatting for 10. Jesus. Right? I said, mate, whatever's wrong with your son that not getting selected for the first team, it's a fucking strength. You know, <laughs> the guy's like a 240, 251 RM based on those. You know, so that's, it's, it's probably, can he catch? <laughs> can he pass? Yeah. That's, you know, look at your skill set. Yeah, especially with rugby where, like, again, people think because of what they look at the top level and they just look at, it's very easy to look at these huge athletes and think, okay, that's that's what I need. But you, then you miss all the nuances of, of what goes on in a game. It's a, it, You can even get it from a fitness standpoint. I'll get people that will send me clips of their game and they'll, or just inquiring and they'll say, oh, you know, I, I think that I'm really, I'm not fit. For some reason, I'm always gassed you know, even like 30 minutes into a game and then I get back my second wind and then again, I, I get gas towards the end of a game. And then you watch their footage and they're running around like a headless chicken. Like you look at Richie McCaw back in the day or, or good efficient flankers. Tom Curry's a perfect example. Like 
he seems to be everywhere because he's really decisive about his actions. And that's, that's rugby IQ. That's not, I mean, obviously there is a level of fitness to get there, but yeah, there is, there is something to be said. I think we, we, we've gone, I don't know if the pendulum swung too far towards, cause it was, you know, as you said, at the beginning of your career, there was real, there was no real strength and condition for a sport like rugby, which is crazy. Now we've gone full hog and, and we're, you know, especially you see it in South Africa a lot where they're, they're picking guys for their provincial sides in the youth athletes, literally based on their metrics in the gym. And I yeah. think the pendulum's ready to sort of swing back, which I think, I think it is. I think it is. Cause if you look at guys, you've got Marcus Smith, you got, uh, um, what's his name? George, uh, Ford, Ford, you got Bowden, all right, you got, you got like, they, these are much smaller athletes than they were 10 to 15 years ago. You know, I remember watching, I, I, I played against, like, um, played with Butch James in a, in a charity game and the man was huge and mm -hmm. 10 for the inbox back in the notes. And I'm like, if what? And now you've got guys that are, see at the, at the top level, you know, we understand that this, we're not talking about top level, you, you and I, we're talking about lads, young lads, semi-pros weekend warriors, you know, amateur athletes, but they, they're not looking at the pro as much as they should do now. They look at the pro as it was 10 years ago. You know, they, and it's like, I think it, there's room for, for, for top clubs to be a bit more open about their training philosophies and their methodologies. You know, like looking and seeing what are these guys, so young athletes can just look at it. I know there's footage on YouTube of bits and bobs, but, you know, if they're looking at big clunky heavy forwards that's not the way the game's going no i think i i completely agree with clubs being more open because i think it is actually it maybe it's not intending to be misleading but it is i guess i'll see some of the all blacks clips that they'll do and they'll not they'll never quite show how deep they go on the squat they'll never quite show the exact weight on the bar unless no. it's it's bragging about someone you know which doesn't do anyone like i mean it's impressive but it, it doesn't show for what is like the, the mean and the average, like you go into a, a gym of any professional team and yeah, there'll be some really, really impressive numbers because there'll be some freaks, but you'll also see a lot of average as far as just, if we're looking at raw strength numbers, but that's because they're not strength athletes, they're rugby athletes. Yep. Same, same thing for sprinting technique. Like, like we'll, we'll look at, you know, a lot of athletes that I think we learn as rugby from other sports. So powerlifting or, 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 or for strength, we learn from powerlifting. For sprinting, we won't learn from track. But there's some just raw speed athletes out there that don't quite have the technique, but it's actually perfect for rugby because they need agility alongside the, you know, the, the straight level speed. And I think I think that's that's interesting that you have your background a lot in track as well. So are, are there still things because I'm always trying to figure out where we can learn, you know, lots of little things that to to bolster out a strength and condition. And is there anything that we're missing at the minute still? We're still far like behind from athletics? I think at, you know, at like elite level, you're, like, you're going to say no. I mean, like Franz Bosch worked with the Welsh Rugby Union for, for a few years and he had some big results there. And what I, what I take from sprinting and, and working with track athletes and, and I did a qualification with Dan Paff, you know, with the Altis mm -hmm. qualification. It's like each year I could top up on something different, something new. But that has been a consistency in my life for 25 years of being in this game in one region or another is that people do not run well. And the perceived exertion of your body, if every time all you're interested in is forced into the ground, bang, 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 that's great when you're 18 because you've got a natural elasticity to your stride. 
what a lot of people love, some people don't. But if you're just focusing on forcing to the ground when you're sprinting, you're missing out on a hell of a lot. That flight time, that forcing to the ground, creating good positions to recycle that gate cycle and that gate mechanic to go again. You're going to get those repeat sprint qualities and the perceived exertion is going to be like a 7 out of 10, an RPE sort of 7 compared to an RPE 10. And therefore, you're getting guys who are going to get gassed really quickly from running really badly. And he might look fine from the sidelines and think, oh, fuck, he's really fast. And yet he could be fast. But, you know, I'm more interested in a guy who's 80% fast for 80 minutes of the match mm. than 100% fast for 10 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever it is. And nobody's, you know, we, we understand the game of rugby ebbs and flows and, and you get recovery. But just looking at a lot of athletes running, you look at someone like uh, Zamet in Wales and um, there's a lad in Newcastle now for England who's just got a rag Yeah, man, this just rapid. Those guys are, you know, the Barrett brothers or any Islander, you know, mm-hmm. you know, things for the All Blacks. But you see the way they run. And people always say the same thing to me. They always go, oh, it makes you look so easy. In the same way Ronaldo makes soccer look easy, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, it is easy for them because they've got a, a wonderful gait mechanic. They've got an understanding of what's required. Or they're just genetic fucking freaks. And they just get that from their parents. And then they endorse it by adding speed and power to the, to the intent. And the outputs then. Are, are amazing. And like I said, it's, it's that rate of perceived exertion, which I, I tend to sort of throw down people's necks a lot. Yeah, definitely. And I think, it, you know, it is f- funny to me that like, I'll, I'll get regularly get questions from people that, that ask, you know, oh, it's either older athletes that are losing their speed or it's younger athletes that need to get speed. And they're like, okay, you know, I go, I go to the gym three times a week. What can I do to get faster? And I'm like, well, how often are you sprinting? <laughs> And the answer is, oh, well, I mean, I, I do rugby, but I'm like, no, you need to practice this, this new skill. And you don't just, yeah, it's, it's like passing. You don't just go play a game of rugby and go, okay, now I'm going to practice my passing. No, you develop the passing in drills. The same yeah. thing that should be said for speed that unfortunately gets missed a lot. And I think overall, like from chatting to you already, I can tell that, you know, you have a full understanding of what strength and conditioning is and Probably, I, I, I can imagine that maybe you don't even like that term because it doesn't really hold true to what it is. It's physical preparation rather than strength and conditioning. Um, yeah, with, I work with quite a lot of older athletes because I'm an old bastard, but I work with young lads and I work with older ones as well because like the online guys are all sort of my age and above or, or roughly, you know, sort of late 30s, let's say it's up to 52. I got a lot of playing masters, a guy's playing masters. And they've all, they all came to me for the same reason. Because I, I, I love jumping, I love throwing shit around, I love sprinting, and I, I don't ever want to not do that. So I'm 43 now, and I'm still quicker than a lot of the guys that I coach in the youth and in the seconds. And, you know, I'm, I'm proud of that. Mm-hmm. If I go over 30 meters, I'm dead. <laughs> but I'm over 10, 20, I'm, I'm, I'm on it. And the, the thing I see with these older athletes is that they almost... They almost take it as a given they're going to lose their speed. Mm. So they say, they often say to me online, we run a consultation. They say, I know, I, I, I know I'm not as fast as I was. I said, well, what are you doing about that? Oh, well, you know, it's just one of those things you get older. I said, no, it's not. You're choosing to be less efficient, to be less elastic, to be less fast and less powerful. But the reason you're doing that is because you think now you've got to go full retard and go full strength. And you never go full retard. You've got to keep the bits in there that are actually 
game-changing for the sport of rugby. You know, your bench press is not a game-changer. Your 10-meter acceleration off the line can be a game-changer in offense and in defense. So why would you not train that quality? And the other thing you say to me, TJ, is that I haven't got access to a field on weekdays, just on the weekends. What? It doesn't matter. You've got a street. Yeah. Good. I've got, I've, got, I've got guys who I coach online doing the one guy had a banded overhead primetime drill sprinting down a close in Birmingham with delivery men and scaffolders watching him. I'm like, he said, what, what do I do? He said, well, who gives a fuck what they think? Just get it done. You've got to get faster. You know, if you've got a field, use a street. And in the gym, there's so many things you can do, acceleration positions, you know, over five to 10 meters, you know, fake throws, banded acceleration, resisted accelerations. You apply uh, extensive plows, intensive plows. There's so many things you can do to get faster, but people would rather choose something more conditioning based or more strength based. Like I said, you're absolutely right. I don't really like the term strength conditioning, but people don't really understand anything else. No. If you say, well, I coach power, speed, and, and strength, I coach a bit of conditioning, but maybe that's on you. You know, they manage your stress levels. That's not a job title anyone's going to remember ever, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, I hate well, like conditioning is, it's like it's like the funniest word as well because like what does what does that even mean? Like like strength is part of conditioning because you need to get stronger to be. If you're conditioning yourself to be a rugby player, then you know that it all goes in. It's it's a stupid term, but we're stuck with it now, and we have that's what we have to go with. You mentioned about I guess we'll, we'll see if we can piece this out a little bit more. The, but the importance of speed and power, particularly for older athletes. So you're saying that. Younger athletes are generally quite more responsive just to being naturally faster. And, and we'll, we'll see this with people that don't, you know, they'll go to the gym, but they don't really work their speed ever. They don't take themselves as serious with that sort of stuff. No. And so and do they yeah, so faster with technical improvements as opposed to like, you know, raw physical improvements? Or is it that we're maintaining those raw physical attributes that they can still maintain their or even gain their speed? I think what I'd like to do is, the way I coach people is I like, break into two parts, right? And I say, like, we're going to we're going to focus on speed, and there's going to be two aspects to speed and to, to play metrics, and I bring them into the same banner. And I say, look, we're going to work on two qualities, two physical qualities, elasticity, we're going to work on power, which is obviously force times speed, right? Force times velocity. Mm -hmm. And people understand power. They totally understand power. But then you say, right, we're going to work on elasticity, and they don't understand what that is. And I say, okay, we're going to work on ankle stiffness. And they don't understand what that is. They think it's a tight muscle. So you, if you've got to word it in a very in a particular way where people actually buy into it, you say, like, you know, we're trying to build robustness around potentially the most important fucking thing in your body for an athlete, your Achilles tendon. We're trying to keep that as robust as possible for as long as possible and as responsive as possible for as long as possible. So you can distribute the force you've created in the gym into the ground with a nice elastic bouncy response rather than a flat pancake slap every damn time you hit the ground, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that, that's how I like to explain it to people. That makes sense. I, I, I use it as more of a, like a, instead of dropping a soft spongy ball on the ground, like, you know, it doesn't matter how strong, I don't know how strong a sponge can be, but if you drop a spongy ball on the ground versus dropping, you know, a real solid rubber ball on the ground, like which one bounces yeah. up much higher then you're training that quality. And so obviously the strength comes into it because the more dense that ball is, the better it's going to be at bouncing. But at the same time, you, you have to work both at the same time. I think 
that works as well for a lot of other athletes that they're scared of putting on mass and then slowing down as well. And actually, I think, well, if you're not even training this stuff in the first place, there's a good chance you'll, you'll get strong. I mean, you'll get faster, right? Yeah. And the thing is, you know, like you, like, you know, with, with youth athletes, everything works. You know, so there's no skill in making someone stronger when they're 18, you know, because that's just like Charlie Francis said, it's as difficult as falling off a board in water. Yeah. You know, not complicated at all. There's not much, there's not much, much harder making someone faster at 18 either because they've got the elasticity because their tendons are young and useful, but they don't have the technical ability perhaps, or they don't have the strength, you know, because of course we, I, I, I don't play strength, but I love training. You know, I, I love, I love training strength. And there's, you know, there's, there's limited gains at a certain level is what I'm getting at. But with a youth athlete, you know, if he's got a, a decent deadlift for a, for a rugby athlete, you know, we see it. Whenever he gets to like, oh, numbers, strength standards, I don't like that. I don't care too much about that. You know, if someone's got a 150 kilogram deadlift, but they've got a, a, an 11 foot broad jump, you know, I'm, I'm happy with that. Or, you know, a, or a, 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 a 1.5 or to a second, like 10 meter acceleration. Mm-hmm. They're fast, they're powerful, they're strong, probably enough, but we can add a bit of body armor on top of them. Yeah, I go, I go back and forth on strength standards. I'm actually going to put something out in the next coming weeks on the on YouTube about strength standards for rugby players. And it's going to be layered and complex because that's just the way it has to be because you can't, like, and I'm still going to preface it with, like, I'm not really happy with doing this, but this is what people want to see because we like to deal with numbers. And I think that's why we like, that's why we like strength training in general as opposed to the power stuff, because it's a lot easier to measure. You can see, you know, the 1.25 kg plates being added to the bar each week, or you can see the extra reps going in the logbook. Whereas with power, even medicine balls and stuff, like you can't quite see efficiency as obvious or, you know, the, Mm. the, the slight increase in speed as obvious, which is annoying, but that's just the way it is. And I think you still got to make it fun. And it's just because you can't see a, an obvious progression doesn't mean that that progression isn't there. And I think you just got to have faith in the system. Yeah. I mean, I, I like to metric everything, to be honest. With you. So it goes from a 10, a 20, a 30, a 40. And it's more for my interest and for their competitive nature of fun. Yeah. More than a caring too much about the actual metric. Med ball throws the same. I have a, a, um, a tri line to 22 meter, six kilogram med ball challenge. You know, it's see. If you can throw it over your head backwards and hit the 22, you're pretty bloody powerful. You know, that's, that's a mm-hmm. decent throw. Beyond that, we measure them, we record it. I know I'm not, I remember I did a, a course with Poliquin when I was like 22. And it was like, if you're not assessing, you're only guessing. Yeah. And I, I had the other like tattooed on my forehead for years. <laughs> that's, that's not overly important for certain things, but I still like to see if my program is working. And certainly if those, some of those physical qualities start to go the other way, and if the med ball goes from uh, overhead throw goes from twenty two meters to nineteen, I'm going to be a bit concerned about that with my programming. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if if they've gained or lost weight, we'll take that into account. But yeah, I mean, I I like med ball throws from the chest and overhead. I like to stand in the same place when someone's doing a vertical, so I can monitor exactly how high it is against the rugby post and things like that. You know, mm-hmm. so they they semi metrics. They're not a hundred percent, but they they're good enough. You know, and it's yeah. fun as well. Yeah, and, and they're good enough to see some sort of progression. I, I even think, like, if you get a video of, of, of medicine ball throws against the wall or whatever, just make sure it's not drywall because that's that's been a mistake a few times with people. But if you throw, if you, 
if you could, you can actually, like I said, you can't really see it. I'm like saying you can't see it on a logbook, but if you actually compare sets of videos, you like the naked eye can see a little, a much more efficient mover, particularly when you're comparing them, you know, side by side or one after the other, or like how much faster the reps are going, how much faster you're recoiling. That sort of thing works really well. I want to change or want to keep going along this line of, of what you're doing with speed and power and stuff, but I want to understand a little bit more about how you differentiate from, because you said you work with like younger athletes that are trying to make it and seeing if they can get to a semi-professional or professional. And you also said you work with old bastards. So I'm assuming there's, there's a deal of differentiation with how you train those guys. I mean, you want to touch on that a little bit for me? Yeah. So the, the main, it's okay. So the main difference, let's just take, two sort of avatars. We've got an 18-year-old rugby lad who wants to get up to the semi-pro level in his club, mm -hmm. and we've got a 45-year-old Masters player. Yeah. The 10 in my program is exactly the same for everybody, whether they're a fighter, a rugby athlete, a lacrosse player. The template runs the same. It goes static warm-up, dynamic warm-up. It goes MAC drills, so, you know, sprint mechanic drills. It goes elasticity, like pogos, et cetera. It goes power, it goes strength, it goes hypertrophy, it goes conditioning. You know the score with that. It's all the mm -hmm. same. The difference is, is that I think volume, priority, and stress. And so if I've got a 45-year-old rugby master's athlete who's got three kids, a mortgage, and a shitty job he doesn't like anymore, his emotional stress is going to be very, very high. So his session is going to be low volume, the lowest I can get away with, perhaps even multiple sessions of a half an hour through the week rather than like two sessions with the 18 year old whose stress levels are, is he going to get late this weekend? How many pipes he can drink for spewing? You know, and I know this, this does take the piss a bit. Everyone's got their stress, everyone's got their shit, but you've got to manage the stress and volume and duration of, of, of sessions and frequency of sessions. That's, that's why we, that's how I change between those age groups. Mm -hmm. I think we said there as well is, is, and we've spoken about it already kind of with the older athletes and what they tend to do is they tend just to keep training the same and do everything the same. And they'll see their numbers go down because these other things in their life are changing. So they're not able to cope with the same volume or you know, get away with the same shit that they did when they were younger. And then they just get, they either just give up or they just, they, they don't understand what's happening. And a lot of time that is, they just give up and they say, well, I guess I'm old now. I guess I have to be either injured or I guess I have to get like, I'm not going to be the, the athlete that I was. Whereas like, actually you, you have no choice but to do less, even though it's a tricky game because you want to, you want to stay at a level where you're still competing. Well, like that goes, he's not a rugby guy. He's a BJJ, he's a roller, right? Mm -hmm. So he's got six days a week, BJJ, right? He's got, he's a fireman as a job. He's got wife and kids. He's got a five-month fitness challenges he takes on all the time, like crazy fucking endurance events, almost like CrossFit on, on crack, you know? Mm -hmm. Then he's got, he comes to me and says, oh, I want to train like five days a week. To pause here, I have no idea where this paused. Apparently the recording paused on 30 minutes. That's annoying. We'll figure it out. Let's go back to, can we, can we resume from what I just said about agility. So you said, yeah, your background is more in athletic. And so obviously in athletics, we're dealing with a lot more straight line speed. That's not what you see as much in rugby. Rugby is, as you said already, acceleration, but it's acceleration in different directions, which is also known as agility. 
So how do you go about programming for that? I'm sorry for the pause. Yeah, mate. I mean, so like I said, I think terminology matters, you know, change direction, agility, two different things. Yep. Low, low level change of direction when you're first learning it with kids, for example, is strength training. So to de-accelerate, or decelerate, sorry, re-accelerate your mass requires a fair bit of strength. So that's a constraint-based approach. And we give them, you know, constraint-based drills. They've got to touch cones and whatever drills. There's a million drills. But you know, the main thing is to not coach the drill, but to coach the skill, as Lee Taft says. And I really love that explanation of it. You know, it's like, well, what are we after from this drill? Well, it's changing direction with different strategies, different movement patterns, different body angles, different shin angles, producing force maximally in different positions. Agility then, of course, is random in nature. So yeah. then it's like you, 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 Cone-based drills, or your constraint-based drills, sorry, you're just running the colors, right? waving hands, verbal cues, getting them to, to react quickly with no pre-ordained plan. And that's agility. Now, what, we like to, what I like to do is with people is like to have what are called compromised position starts. So they could be on a knee, they could be lying down, and from you know, straight on, side on, side on. And then you jump, turn, and sprint, you know, and you, you organize your body as efficiently as possible on that push-up position, you push up off the floor, you spin, you accelerate in the sort of angles and the trajectory you would do from a, a three or two-point start. So it all comes back to, to linear speed. It's just organizing your pelvis first, you know? Yeah. So if I'm lateral, and then I pop, and it's just giving those strategies so they can appreciate that. And like you said, then, I mean, if you think about... Um, sidestepping. If you want a great adductor strengthening, isometric strengthening exercise, a sidestep is a brilliant exercise, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's all, it all comes back down to strength and linear speed, like you mentioned earlier. It's just strategies. Yeah. A- and combined with like rugby IQ, because yeah. I mean, as you say, agility is chaotic. So what you're doing is you're reacting to what your opponent's giving you. You could have the most agile guy in the world, but if he's not, you know, if he has no idea what defenders tend to do or how he, you know, where to spot gaps as he's running, then that, that agility or that change of direction skill is, is useless. Yeah. And that's when your strength comes in just to smash in the middle. Just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, and that's, but that's why you, you know, you start with the basic stuff. Like people, people love and, and, you know, we're in the trap of social media already now. And I don't know if, ever, if it's ever going away, but. Like th- that's the stuff that gets views are like cool, different interactive things that partner drills that they're, where they're working on. And that stuff like is a good development uh, tool to use, to, to build in from the basic skills to get to the other stuff. But if you don't have the basic skills, which, you know, kneeling starts and stuff like that really do help uh, the body understand. And if you don't have the basic technique, as we've already said, the stiffening of the ankles, that sort of stuff, then you're kind of wasting your time because you're just kind of still doing the same thing. You're, you're going in a chaotic environment. You're never going to learn in a chaotic environment. So you have to keep it simple first. Yeah, exactly that. Cool. Speaking of keeping it simple, you're a strong guy. You're, as you said, you're, you're outpacing a lot of the youngsters. And I think you would consider yourself a very advanced athlete. But what I don't see in your training or what I do see in your training is a lot of simplicity and not a lot of you know, advanced training techniques. Young guys particularly are attracted to advanced stuff, but I think older guys as well, once they get older, they think, okay, now instead of, you know, they've already skipped that part where they need to understand recovery, they've gone straight into, okay, now I'm advanced. I need to do advanced stuff to get advanced results. Do you think that's the case? Do you think athletes need advanced training techniques or 
Do you see the beauty and simplicity? Bit of both. If you're talking about advanced techniques as being like French contrast training, which is my favorite modality for increasing power, mm-hmm. because efficient for a lot of guys who are semi-pro, got jobs, who've got wives and kids. It gives the biggest bang for your buck, you know, because you can, you can go in, you can warm up, you can hit your French contrast model and you can leave. And you're probably going to be maybe a half an hour in the gym. So I love the simplicity of that. But of course, it's actually a very complex modality. And you've got to either get to that point to use a French contrast model by getting, you know, just going through complex training, contrast training, then going to French contrast. And I could take you in a couple of months, a couple of years, depends where you are. So the answer I would say is, if you're talking about advanced techniques as being that sort of example, then yes. If you're talking about ex- advanced techniques being some bell end lying on a bench with a dumbbell in one hand, balance on a bosu ball in the other foot, then the answer is 100% no. Because that's not advanced tra- te- uh, techniques. That's just a lack of training knowledge and efficiency. And it's just clickbait. Do you think like a lot of this comes about from bodybuilding being such a meat and potato sport, right? Like getting, adding mass is just, a, you know, correct me if you, if you disagree, but it's just a case of getting in enough volume and enough calories for the body to, to, to grow, create at some level of anabolism and whatever, right? So that's really, really, really easy to do. So I think it, it can get boring. So what the bodybuilding culture has sort of done is create things like, you know, triple drop sets or or giant sets and all this stuff, which they're all tools that you could use to actually probably just be more efficient, but they've used them all as, as to create them as like advanced techniques that will, yeah. Same thing for strength, right? You just said, you know, going out, jumping out of a boat and hitting water is the same, is is about as difficult as it is to get a young athlete stronger. So do you think that like a lot of this has just come about because it just, just to make this stuff more entertaining? Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah. Yes. I remember, I remember going on a, a course and it was, uh, it was Polygon again and it was with Paul Czech and they had Swiss balls and they were that footage, video, grainy video footage of, remember Christian Cullen for the All Blacks? Mm-hmm. He was a fullback back in the day, super strong guy, you know, questionable. Yeah. All, all, the, all the guys in the All Blacks were like questionably big compared to everybody else. They were all stood on Swiss balls with 20 kilogram dumbbells in each hand squatting, stood on a Swiss ball, squatting with 40 kilos. And I'm watching this video in the gym and I'm like, this is the shit. This is amazing. This state is stable. Look at all that, all the, all the sort of connective tissue and the stabilization muscles are switched on. And there's this old Hungarian powerlifter looking at it with me and he's like, this is bullshit. They're lifting 40 kilograms. I'm like, no, no, no. They're on a ball. He's like, this 40 kilograms. You don't play sport on a ball. And my yeah. whole belief system was shattered in one sentence. And I'm like, oh, of course it does. It's so stupid. So that's one side of it. The other side of it then, you've got the real pedants. And I've been both through my career and I've changed my view on a lot of things. But one of the things that I was told when I was younger was, you know, that Vergashansky quote of, you can't do plyometrics until you've got a two times bodyweight back squat. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that's, that's so unfair because I want to I wanna do jumps, but I can't apparently. But of course, his context, what Vergashagasi meant was that you can't use the shock method because it doesn't work really well when you've got a one times body weight back squat, but it works really well when you've got a two times body weight. So save it until you've exhausted all the other modalities and techniques and you get to that point where it's really useful 
and you're so you've stressed your system so much that nothing else works quite as well as this will. Mm-hmm. And that's where people confused again. It's like that whole pedantry of oh, you can't use chains on your squat because you don't squat two hundred. That's bullshit. You know, chains are fun. Use chains. Bands are fun. Use. You know, so there's yeah. there's two sides. Of the- I think it's also a case of like to me, it all comes down to efficiency, right? So. If you're looking at all these advanced techniques and you're, you you just don't need to do, why do it? Like, why? Or if you're looking at some sort of brain being programmer thing where you've got to get, collect more data, uh, yeah, if you can get faster and sprinting, you know, when you're a younger athlete by just increasing your deadlift and then going out and running naturally, like, why would you not just do that? Like, and then you can take the time over time to adjust your technique or to uh, do other sort of. Uh, special technique and exercise to progress it, but like the key what because actually lose the audio, lose the audio, it was rustling going on. Like, there you go. And what we're gonna do, like that, that that's better. Oh, okay, it's bloody. We still good. Yeah, I spent much better, mate. Okay, sweet. Yeah, I think what a lot of people. Tend, I think it's just all comes down to efficiency and a lot of people tend to look at extra special techniques or different techniques and they think, okay, that's the missing thing in my training and that's going to get me better. Whereas actually like just getting better is already sets you ahead of most people. Most people are going in the gym and they're doing the same old, same old, or they're not even in the gym and they're slowly getting worse. The fact that you, you can make improvement is a really good thing. So keep doing things that keep improving you. And slowly over the, you know, over the months, over the years, add in extra things to keep that, you know, to keep that graph going up in the, in the direction that you want it to go to keep you improving. Because at the end of the day, if, if you can get better, just doing a few lifts, just do those few lifts and then, you know, save your other, you've got then extra time for recovery or extra time to work on your skills. Like there's no point pumping up already pumped up tires. There's no point doing anything more than that. So then focus on the engine or focus on whatever it is that you, or the chassis or whatever it else it is that can improve your performance. That's not to say that you shouldn't like, you should go out and fat and flat tires, like make sure that they're pumped before you go. But at the same time, yeah. you don't have to get anything of, you, know, you don't have to look at the advanced stuff just because it looks sexy. I 100% agree. 100%. And I think it's, it's more, again, it, a lot of it comes back to efficiency. Like I like, I really like to use, you know, the myo reps. Yeah. So yep. I, I use those a tongue because it's just an easy way to get in a lot of volume. Sometimes it can be extra fatiguing, but it's an easy way to get in a lot of volume in just a few minutes, as opposed to like, you know, 10, 20 minutes for three different exercises. You can get that done in, in five to 10 minutes easily. And also like, you know, um, it doesn't even have to be as complicated as people make out either. So training efficiency for me is, okay, I'm going to do upper body today. Right, so I want something powerful. So I'm going to say, let's say I'm going to do a, let's say a med ball throw against the wall, right? Mm-hmm. And I want to pair that with a core exercise because that's what I like to do. And it's if you give people core exercise at the end of their workouts or, the, or ab exercise, we're going to call them, they won't do them because they'd rather go home. So you put them, you pair them with the power exercise as long as it's not, you know, a, a strength speed stimulus and it's a legitimate speed strength or power stimulus, which is going to be affected by the core fatigue. So let's just say we've thrown the med ball into the wall and then we do a long lever, stir the pot with the med ball. We've used the med ball again. So that's efficiency, right? 
So then you you go, right, okay, my, my main lift today is going to be the bench. I'm going to do four sets of five, let's say, at 80%, right? If you're a percent worker, RP, six, seven, whatever it is. You do your sets, you finish up. What do you do? You don't need to walk to the other side of the gym and go to a lat pull down. You know, you pay then something like a floor press with a chin up because it's right there. You don't have to deload the bar. You don't have to just take a couple of weights off. And then you walk across to the dumbbell rack and you do like some vertical pressing and you do some horizontal pulling with like a, a bench row. So again, you're being efficient. You're pairing exercises that are really quick, back to back, bosh, bosh. You know, walking from one end of the gym, we're upstairs, downstairs. You're just doing the stuff right there. Mm-hmm. And that's where program design fails, when it's so complicated. You know, I've got a rule of thumb. If I, if, you know, if, if, if I look at your program and it's more than, depending on goal, obviously, but more than eight exercises, and I'm being generous there, because mine usually about six, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure you don't know what you're doing. There's this obviously there's caveats to that as well. You know, we do different different uh, modalities of you know mobilizations or whatever it is. You know, but the 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 meat and potatoes of the of the workout, if it's ten to twelve exercises, me, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, I think that comes from the same psyche that gives people or that makes people do advanced techniques because they feel like they're missing out on something. And so, yeah, I'll always see that with people that when they'll send me their program. Or we'll do a consultation and I'll say like, no, you, you don't need this much. And they're, they're completely scared of, I, I know this, I, I have the same, I, I can completely understand the mindset because I was the same, you know, you think, oh, if I, if I only do two sets of bench, there's no way I'm going to get stronger. I'm going to get weaker. My chest is going to shrivel up. I used to be petrified and because, yeah, that's just the way the fitness industry is because it's all so ingrained at, with these top notch athletes promoting all this nonsense. And the third group of right people, and he's got a, a 140 bench, 150 bench press, and he weighs like 100 kilograms. Let's just say it's 150 kilogram bench press. Well, I'm happy with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the next few weeks, he could come into the gym, work up to a heavy single, which is around about that weight, and he's maintaining his strength. And when his strength starts to deteriorate, then we can add a few reps to that, that, that yep. particular X. It's really fucking simple, and it's, not, it's nowhere near as complex as people like to make out. I think people get also get wrapped into their own results emotionally and they don't like, they don't like the idea of what do you mean? I only have to do, you know, two sets of bench. Like no way. I, I, you know, cause they like, cause we like what we're already good at. And so therefore yeah. we're going to keep doing what we're already good at. Well, if that's, if that's like already good enough and you're putting, you're investing time into that, that is much better spent elsewhere then you're actually wasting your time. Well, look, like my, my mindset changed on direct calf training a few years ago. So I never believed in direct calf training. I always thought if you were doing enough sprint work and Mac drills and mm-hmm. pogo, enough stimulus, and you didn't need it. Then I started like looking at Alex Natera's work and I'm like, oh, okay, maybe there's some valid validity to this. Then I started utilizing those techniques in my own training and realized, ah, I feel like my ankle stiffness has gone through the roof. It was actually, it, it deteriorated quite a lot. I just hadn't felt it. And I videoed myself doing like you know, three-point starts, and the first step, you know, the car, the, the ankle is, is stiff, it's holding, the heel is holding it tight, whereas before it wasn't. So, you know, my mind, mind has changed a lot on different training modalities over the years. You just got to keep on challenging yourself and not, like I said, leaning towards your biases. Yeah. And, and continually, like, add things in that if, if they make sense to you, like, 
if you can, if you can think you can see a progression then, then go for it, like, but you're doing it out of like a positive mindset, uh, rather than a, a fearful one. Like, oh, I've got to add this in because this is the thing that I've been missing this whole time. On your flip side of that as well, I always said to people, if you can't explain why particular exercise or drill is in your, in your program, it shouldn't fucking be in there. You've got to justify every single thing that you're going to spend time on in the gym or on the field, making you better. And if you can't justify it, it shouldn't be there. Yeah, which goes, it goes back to that efficiency that we were talking about already. Like people just do stuff. I think it's, it, people do stuff just cause, cause they copy what other trainers have done and, and they don't really think about it. And, and I think too many people don't even have like actual goals, you know, like they don't take, take the time to think they just go to the gym because they say, Oh, gym's good for rugby, strong rugby. That's it. They don't think, ben. Oh, actually speed might help a lot more or power might help a lot more or getting aerobically in shape or getting my condition up to scratch will help a lot more. They just think they just copy what they see other people doing. As we already mentioned, like there's not, it's not overly open what professional rugby players are really doing. No. And I've, I've pulled, I've, I've been a power lifter and I've been a strong man compared to that. And you know, I've been a sprinter. So I've got a decent lens. If I'm going to pick one physical quality, give me speed every day of the week, mm -hmm. you know, because like you said, the speed work, if you're sprinting frequently enough, accelerating, change of direction, work, max velocity, you're getting enough strength work for the lower limb. You know, you can, you can top up with the bits and bobs around we mentioned, but give me speed every day over strength because the strength is so easy to hold on to, it's so easy to gain. Genuine speed, and you're not going to make people fast, you're going to make them faster, but that shit deteriorates after the age of 28, 29, they all start to go downhill with the speed. The strength, conversely, tends to go because, of course, we start to favor the things that we think will get us better. Mm -hmm. I think on top of that, it's also like speed is so good because it actually makes you, it makes you fitter because when we're looking at repeat yeah. speed ability, I think I said this on last week's podcast, they look at, you look at the studies and you see the people that actually have the best repeat speed ability. They're just already really slow. So they're going from, you know, they're going from six to six yeah. to six to six and they're maintaining six. Whereas, you know, you've got one guy that's a 10 and he drops down to a 9.5 and then a nine. That's seen as a, you know, as a less fit person. But actually, because they're so fast, they're, they're running rings around the people that are six anyway. You have to put less that's effort like in and you're becoming more efficient. 100%. I could speak to a lot of what you've, you've spoken about. I'm really enjoying this. I guess I want to go back to, you said you've learned a lot in your in your career and change your mind a lot of things i always think that's that's a good sign rather than a bad sign because quote from dan cottrell who stole it from someone else was that you, you get a lot of coaches that say they've got 10 years of experience but actually they've just got one year of experience 10 times because they never learn it <laughs> <laughs> and, and i think that's so true so just to to know that and i'm always fascinated thinking about like what am i doing right now that i've i think in five years time is absolute bullshit or, or something that I think, oh, maybe I've done this wrong because more than ever now, and I'm sure you're probably the same, you're more and more confident in what we're actually getting people to do and really happy with like the rationale behind it, but there's going to be stuff that we're going to have to change our mind on. So, but what are some of the, or if you can just name one of the, the most important things or the biggest thing that you've changed your mind on, uh, throughout your career. The one thing I mentioned earlier was the calf training. That's one mm -hmm. thing. The other thing is everyone's got a bias, right? So you, even if you don't know you've got a bias, you've got a bias. Mm -hmm. But 
I, I always believed, you know, that powerlifting was the basis of a good athlete. So the big three lifts. Now, that's not to say I don't use them still. Of course I do. But now I'm, I'm just as happy with using like dynamic effort method instead of cleans. Like a dynamic effort method deadlift, right? If you've got somebody pulling 140 for eight sets of three, I'm okay with them not doing power cleans. I'm okay with them not doing heavy deadlifts. I think that's the, if I used to say I've changed one thing, it's my ability to let go of biases and say, you know, like I don't particularly like Olympic weightlifting. I was taught badly as a kid. I've ruptured both biceps off the bone and I can't take a, a catch position, right? From a clean? No, from a, from a clothesline from one, <laughs> um, from a lift from the other. And actually the third one that finally did was 10 pin bowling with my kid. So that's like not the coolest story, but, but I used to have real biases towards like powerlifting, towards back squat, towards power cleans. Cause even though I did them really badly, I was still adamant that that was the thing you had to do. And then I was like, wait a minute, I got a, a banded 130 kilogram deadlift here, which I'm ripping off the ground at max speed. It's exactly the same. I'm just keeping hold of the bar and not catching it. So as long as my numbers, my speed, my VBT is up. Well, I don't care about that. And then I go, okay, well, what if I don't like doing deadlifts? What if I want to use a trap bar and just do some loaded trap bar jumps? Same stimulus. There's no difference. So anybody who says different, come back and tell, talk about me at 15 years' time. Now, if you say that Olympic weightlifting is the thing you have to do to create strength, speed, stimulus, or if somebody else says something the opposite, it's somewhere in between. If someone's good at Olympic weightlifting, let them do it. If someone doesn't like it, then don't. It doesn't fucking matter. It drives me crazy, these arguments that we have. <laughs> but that's the difference. I think the difference, I wouldn't name an exercise or a modality or a technique. I'd say my ability to not have quite as many biases as I used to. And if someone comes to me and says, I love ollie lifting, I'm really good at it. I'm like, fine, program it. And if someone comes to me and says, I oh, you know I'm not good at ollie lifting, I'll say, well, it's a sport. You're not playing that sport. Let's get the stimulus and the outputs from something else. Yeah. As a rule of thumb, like I've competed in Olympic weightlifting. I, I do enjoy it. I've come away from it just because it's just, it is quite brutal. And it's the more I travel around, it's difficult to do in commercial gyms, but I still, I still enjoy it. But for the, for the vast majority of my athletes, I don't need, it's not even a conversation we have to bring up because they, the learning curve, particularly if we're just doing it online or if they're going about it on their own, there's just too much risk of us not getting the benefits versus if we're doing, you know, dim or deadlifts, if we're doing, you know, different jumps, different jump squats, different movements, whatever it is. Like I know they're getting the benefit from those. I'm not always sure unless I'm seeing crisp technique, if they're getting the benefits from, unless it's a power snatch where it's just a real quick power snatch. I, I do enjoy those, but again, they're, they're only thrown in fairly infrequently. But I agree Like the <laughs> arguing that you either absolutely need it or you should never do it is, is kind of redundant at this point. Do you know what the most stupid comment I've, I've listened to, which was from a um, pretty high-level S&C coach? I wasn't speaking to him, but I was in the room at the time. And he was arguing the case for Olympic weightlifting for rugby players. And I overheard the comment, and he said, well, one of the best things that people don't appreciate is the fact if you're hitting a, like a 150 power clean, you're catching that 150 kilograms. He said, you're absorbing that force. And then, of course, that's a great thing for rugby because it teaches you to absorb force. I'm like, a tonga at full tilt will teach you to absorb force. Mm -hmm. You don't need a fucking barbell to teach you how to do that, mate. You know, the impact you're going to get on the field, 
You're trying to negate those impacts in the gym. You're not trying to add more stress to the system. It's so stupid. <laughs> it's funny. That's, a, that's I've heard the same sort of thing, but it's like, and I, I, I understood it like probably incorrectly from what they were trying to say. I think they were trying to say, you know, you're catching it and you're using your whole body. But I understood it as like, oh, okay, maybe. So that means I could just do like a dimmel deadlift and then like a, a depth drop of some po point because that's the absorption of the force probably more efficiently and more likely what you're going to find in rugby. You don't, you don't need 150 kilos to do that. If you're just stepping off a step, high, high enough step and absorbing the force into the ground, that's, that's a lot more like the step, the absorbing a force you're going to find in a, in a rugby match. You want to talk me of force absorption, you know, then altitude landings. Yeah. I get that. Step of the box, stick the landing. No, I don't like, I don't, and again, there's big arguments about, you know, like uh, tall to short landings or snap landings, whatever they call them. Are they not, they're not specific to athletic development. They don't teach you how to land. Well, no, they don't, but maybe you're not doing them for that reason. Maybe you're doing it just to add a little bit of hamstring robustness. Mm -hmm. Um, this, this is not a bad tool for that. You know, you don't have to do them. But altitude land, great way to get those hamstrings to fire up. Yeah, definitely. And I think, as you said, that it goes to the whole approach of like, everything can work if you justify it. And it's the same as you said, if you're assessing someone else's program, it's, you know, why are you doing a squat? Well, because I've got to do a squat and a bench and a deadlift. Why are you not doing, you know, why are you not doing a rear foot elevated split squat? Because maybe you've only got access to dumbbells or maybe you haven't got access to as much weight or maybe you've got one leg that's significantly smaller or weaker than the other. So many tools. And I think you mentioned it right at the beginning. It's movement patterns. You need a push, a pull, a hinge, a squat. Whether that's a specific bench press, squat, deadlift, only really matters if you're a powerlifter. Otherwise, if you're a rugby player, like you've just got to use those movement patterns, right? You know what? Like I like to... You have like, so you got push, you got pull, you got vertical, horizontal. Mm -hmm. You got hinge, you got squat, you got lunge, you got rotation, and you got gait. Now, those are the seven ones I run with, right? I might be able to say to me, oh, I train gait. What do you do? Lunge walks. No. Oh, I do farmer's carries. Nah, that ain't gait. What do you do for gait? Do you sprint? Oh, no. Do you do Mac drills? No, no. So what are you doing for gait? Nothing. You know, so people love to talk about squatting. And you know what? There's a real, I think one of the things we've got at the moment is there's a lot of people out there and they are giving solutions to problems that don't really exist. You know, when you're talking about, you've got to have a squat. Okay, yeah, but you've got to have this squat, this squat, this squat, or this squat. And it's got to be the, the squattiest of squats or the hingiest of squats. Mm -hmm. Pick one, mate. You know, keep your squat squatty, keep your hinge hingy. You know, but if you want to do box squats, that's a very hingy squat. And that's got a benefit. And if you want to do a heels elevated um, split squat, uh, like, sorry, goblet squat or front squat, that's a very quad dominant squatty squat. That's fine too. But we're, we're, we're really at the moment picking the minutiae out of things whereby, you know, a squat is going to be, any type of squat is going to be better than a squat you don't do. Yeah, 100%. I think, and technically as well, again, probably from this bodybuilder background where we, we're, we're, we're trying to over complicate things or make things a little bit more entertaining or even with a strength background like you've got squat university and that's not to knock aaron horshig but like there's there's like it's it's one movement pattern why 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 i think we need a university to to go to to really delve into it and especially not people that 
aren't powerlifters or aren't getting paid to squat. It just, just doesn't make sense to me. There's two sides to that as well. Like you said, he's, he'll correct a two millimeter hip shift and say that's really important. And that's exactly that you've just read my mind kind of thing there, because those are the problems that we don't need solutions for. Yeah. Two mil is neither here nor there for athletes, you know, and then, but then you've got the other side of things then. You've got, you've got guys like Adam Meekins and I really like him, but he's like, lift all you want. It doesn't matter. Just you, you, you'll build tolerance, tissue tolerance. And that's great advice, but the pair of them are doing things which, if they just give some context to it. Now, I agree with me, Gaines. I used to do bent back lifting, so I used to lift Atlas stones. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I specifically did bent back lifting for a while to try and get my lumbar erectors stronger. That's not to say that's the most efficient way to lift weight off the ground. But they don't say that. They just say, do this. You know, it doesn't matter about technique. And then on the other side, it's like, it's all about technique. And again, the unhappy and unpopular middle ground is where the truth actually lies. Always. You know, your, 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 your technique doesn't have to be world-class, steady going kind of technique. But equally, it shouldn't be cat's back chit show, you know, because you're not going to lift much weight with that particular type of technique. No, it's, it, I mean, it's the same like politics, right? If it's stuff is in the middle, it doesn't get any traction, doesn't get any likes or clicks. That's why the popular stuff is always on the crazy yeah. ends of the spectrum. For technique, I always, my rule of thumb is, if I am looking from, you know, across the room and it looks good enough, then that's good enough. Like that's, that's it really. Yeah. You can always make slightly technical. If you, if I can see a technical adjustment, I'm actually looking across the room. If I can make a technical adjustment from across the room, or I can see something that might need to be adjusted, that's what we do. But otherwise, like th- there is no point in picking out the minutiae. It's just getting more efficient, getting stronger. And, and it, the body will figure that out as well. Most, for the most part. The difference is when you're, when you're working with kids, you know, and it, again, but the, 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 the anti-Olympic weightlifting argument is it takes too long to coach. Fuck, I can coach a snatch in for a kid in five to 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not an argument. That's just a bullshit argument. That's a lazy approach for someone who perhaps doesn't know how to do it or doesn't, or can't be asked. But with kids, when you're working with young athletes, it's really important to give them an idea. Like Dan Path talks about shapes. You know, I love, I love that. What's your starting shape? What's your finishing shape? And then everything in the middle will sort itself out, usually. But so with acceleration, with the squat, with the deadlift, if kids have an appreciation of what it should look like in their minds, the kids now film every bloody thing anyway. So they'll, they'll record their sets. Mm-hmm. They'll go, ah, oh, that doesn't look great. I need to change that. And you change it to, like I said, to, to a degree where it's acceptable. There's, we're not form police. You know, we're not coaching technique. We're coaching the amount of weight you can lift off the ground a lot of the time or the speed at which you can lift it. Yeah, we, we're giving a lot of these extra techniques. Again, I think it's just a case of trying to make things that are quite simple, sound more complicated to create a level of, learned helplessness like which we don't need like you know if anything you need to be doing less you need to be worrying about less but as long as you're doing it efficiently like you, you're covering your bases you what you know what you need to work on and that's it really yeah yeah for sure okay i don't want to take up too much more of your time matt so last two questions and they're not they're not quick fire i put them here and i always ask them but they're not quick fire at all what's a one-off change and the most effective one-off change that you think an athlete and this is, we can't be specific. So just general athletes can make that will have the best payoff. So universally. So if I'm going to, I wouldn't, uh, okay, I'm going to say recovery. And it's mm-hmm. really like, oh, your own, your own bullshit, bullshit. But again, the recovery thing, we got this carb over here, some 21 year old telling me to have nine hours sleep and drink five liters of water and make sure that everything is homegrown. All my food is grown in my back garden and my, my, all my food's organic. And you go to the other side then, you know, 
uh, sleep five hours a night and drink one liter of water and 20 coffees. You know, I've got a very simple approach to recovery. You get as much sleep as you possibly can, you know, without external influences. If you were some, th- if you've got three kids, you never, you're not getting nine hours sleep. If you've got a job and a mortgage, you're not doing that. Mm. Don't talk to me about that. If you're a kid, you you should definitely do that. I, I I agree that hydration, nutrition, and sleep hygiene is a is a much overdone point, but it is the most important single change. You want to call that one single change being recovery that you can make to people. Mm-hmm. So like my my evening routine runs the same. I'm a routine. I like routine. Everything's done on the done. So like in this evening now, I will read to my kids and I'll give them ten pages of Harry Potter. And then I will come down and have my dinner and it'll, it'll always be good food. I don't eat crap because food is fuel. And you know, that's all there is. There's no emotional attachments required to food. Just fucking fuel your body. That's all that matters. Um, and then I'll sit down and my missus will watch some crabby TV and I'll do some static stretching, some full rolling and some, some lacrosse ball work, which again is horribly unpopular with people because you don't need that shit. Come back and tell me when you're 45, son, if you need that shit. <laughs> One percent is when you're 45, you get 10 or 12 of those, you got 12% different. That's a big difference. Yeah. What, what book of Harry Potter are you on? Prison, no, no, Goblet of Fire. That was nice. Now, yeah. now we're getting into the real meaty stuff. Yeah. That I'm definitely one that's guilty of that. Like saying, you know, you don't need the lacrosse balls and stuff because again, these are people that aren't taking the big rocks of their recovery seriously. You've clearly got everything else as, as efficient as you can. You've got your routine down. You ask most people that you know, that do anything on the phone roller, what their pre-sleep uh, routine is, they don't have one. They don't have a bedtime. They don't have a wake-up time. It's ad hoc. That, that exactly. stuff's not going to help you. But in nine o'clock, else in place, yeah. Nine o'clock is bedtime, and I read, read 10 pages of a textbook, and I read a couple of pages of a novel to fall asleep with. And I, that's the routine I have six days a week. Saturday night, I later get to sleep to have a kebab. You know, but, you know, there's no room for that. But yeah, that's the, that's the thing. You know, the, the, the recovery stuff is, is well documented. Everyone talks about it. But give me a routine which you can feasibly conduct six nights a week and stick to. And, and all these little, little one percenters then actually mean something. Yeah. But if you'd like, okay, you don't sleep, seven hours sleep, then it doesn't matter. Yeah. And then finally, what's one sentence that you could define your overall coaching philosophy? I, th- I think philosophy is is one of those words where when you're a you're, you're young coach, everyone tells you you need a philosophy. You've got to have a philosophy. Mm-hmm. You've got to trade. You've got to buy into something. And I remember saying to somebody on a, a, a seminar a few months ago, and I said, "Look, you know, if you're a young coach, you haven't got a philosophy. Just follow somebody you you respect. And Nick theirs. For me, he was like Paul Aguin to start with. Then I then I went away from that. Then it was Mike Boyle. Then away from that. But I took bits and bobs from everybody. My training template's the same for everybody, as I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. If I was to an ethos or a philosophy, I'd say if every I'd say if every general population gym goer athlete trained like a professional rugby rugby athlete, they'd be much better off for it. Because every physical quality you could possibly need as a human for longevity is in rugby. You've got you know you've got aerobic capacity. You've got anaerobic. You've got power, strength, elastic, sprint qualities. You've got, you know, there's, there's no other sport for me that encompasses 
all the physical qualities that you would you require to be a really good, robust, strong, powerful, and fast athlete in rugby or union or league, maybe AFL, conversation for that. But you know, there's no other sport really that gives you that really nice, well-rounded balance. Couldn't agree more, actually. I, I think that's one of the biggest things. I've got a few athletes that are in their 40s, and I think that, you know, part of the reason they still play rugby is to do this sort of training because they know it's important for life. Yeah. And I think that's absolutely, a lot of people get that wrong where they go, okay, I'll do rugby because that's what I need to do for my fitness and, and to keep my body in shape. And I'm like, okay, but that's a, that's a strange approach to do a, a really aggressive collision sport. You know, that's done. And I want my kid to play rugby to toughen him up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't work like that. It, it really doesn't. I actually thought, I, I thought for the, your overall co coaching philosophy, you were going to say your Instagram handle, which we'll plug one more time at the end here. So jump, yeah. throw, lift. Yeah. They were okay. Yeah. Yeah. That you <laughs> Which kind of encompasses the whole thing anyway. But yeah, if I, I was going to add sprint on top of that, mm -hmm. but like it didn't really roll off the tongue, but jump, throw, lift is okay. Throw, lift, sprint. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It takes it takes a lot away from the name, actually, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. But yeah, cool. Is there anywhere else people can go and find out more about your your training, your coaching, that stuff, or is the Instagram the best place to go? Yeah, I'm just on Instagram. I, I you know, I, I put a bit of content out, um, not as much as I should, but yeah, really clear. Yeah, it's it's really good quality stuff, but you can see all of what we've spoken about today in action. I I, I, I appreciate your posts. I think they're really good. So guys, Thanks, yeah, everyone listening, I absolutely encourage you to go check out uh, jump.throw.lip, correct? You got it. Yeah, it'll be in the description below. Thanks for joining us, Matt. This has been great. Thanks very much, TJ, man. Great. Yeah. Appreciate it. All right. Hey there, it's TJ once again. Thank you for listening to that episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm just here one more time. I know you thought you were rid of me, but uh, I've got something pretty cool that I want to send your way. I've tried to condense all the most important things that you need to make progress, the training, the mindset, the nutrition, everything you hear in these podcasts and more presented in a free two-week program called Rugby Muscle Kickoff. Through Kickoff, you'll have access to two weeks of emails delivered directly to your inbox, two weeks of videos, education, and interaction, and access to tools, strategies, tactics previously reserved only for paying clients. To join, simply click the link the link in the description of this podcast, the one that says kickoff, or if you want to go old school and type it out, then crack on, access it at rugby-muscle.com forward slash kickoff, all one word. Cheers for listening to the podcast. See you guys next time.